0: Recorded live. Hello, this is Beth Jones, your hostess of womensbattles.com, and I am so excited that you're here with us today. I've been very excited about the show today. I have a very special guest. This guest is my husband, Ray Jones. Ray, are you there? I am here. Rave, some of the listening audience may know that you're my husband of eighteen years and that you contributed the forward to my new e-book, The Hands of a Woman, Everyday Women in Everyday Battles. And you can find out more about that at <laughs> http://women'sbattles.com. <h-t-p-cullin laughs> slash, slash, but I would like the listeners to get to know you a little bit better. So, would you please share about yourself, your work, maybe a little of your military experience, and what you're doing now?
1: Okay, well, I started out in the military at a very young age. I joined the Texas Guard, uh, I think when I was still just 16, uh, with parental consent. I was still in high school. I spent about two years uh, working with the Guard, learning to be a military policeman, and then decided to transfer over to the United States Navy and uh, become a combat medic and I went to Naval Hospital, went to boot, Navy boot camp and then Naval Hospital Corps School and then Fleet Medical Service School which is where uh, the Navy trains its medics to serve with the Marine Corps and uh spent the rest of my pretty much the rest of my career uh working as a medic for the Marines. Uh got out of the service uh finally. i spent several years in the reserves, got out Finally, what, 2002, uh, somewhere there is about, so maybe a total of 16 years total active in military uh, service. Um, After that, I spent time as a a firefighter, and as a police officer, and as a paramedic. Um, Been on a SWAT team uh, for 12 years uh, during one of those incarnations. Uh, Served time as a detective, uh, right now I'm um, working as a paramedic uh full time uh, which is what I uh, tend to enjoy most out of out of all those occupations
0: okay, so as you can see, Ray's been a very busy man, he has always worked in the emergency fields as a paramedic as a police chief, as a fire chief. And he has an over 14 year military experience. He is also a licensed minister, and he has preached and teach on the topic of spiritual warfare. That is one of the reasons that Ray wrote the foreword for my ebook, The Hands of a Woman Everyday Women in Everyday Battles, which you can find more about at http://women'sbattles.com. Now, I wanted to read a small portion out of my ebit that Ray wrote in the Ford. It was on page 14, and he wrote, We tend to view spiritual warfare as something that is not really real. War in the, natu- the natural war- world is an ugly business. We see the results of it every day on the news. War is bloodshed, shattered lives, broken bodies, tortured landscapes, and rivers of blood. Even the limited warfare of a physical fight between two people results in physical pain and suffering and the emotional pain endured by the conflict in the first place. Spiritual war is just as real. The Bible is basically a military manual teaching us how to engage in warfare against the enemies of God, particularly the devil. And, Ray, I wanted you to talk about that today. A lot of people don't realize, that they, they don't even know that that spiritual warfare is real. First of all, if they're not even a believer in Christ, they're not going to know that. They're going to be ignorant of that. And even for some Christians, they're not going to know about that. So would you share about that, please?
1: All right. Well, Ephesians, Ephesians 6, uh, 11 through 17. Says to put on the full armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. You know, so the Bible itself is being you know fairly explicit there, and telling us that our warfare. Is against spiritual beings, you know, um, beings, you know, that exist beyond our, our dimension, as as God exists beyond our dimension. And so God gives us specific weapons in order to to do battle um, against these enemies. And those are the the weapons that Christians are expected to to train with and and to learn how to use. Does that answer the question, that you?
0: Yes, it does. And what would those weapons be? What would be some of those weapons of warfare for the Christian?
1: The Bible actually lists many. Um, the most familiar to everybody is just out of the scripture I just stated, uh, Ephesians 6 to 11, uh, where it talks about taking up the full armor of God. Um, the word uh, Paul used there for armor was a uh, panoply which was the Roman uh, Roman soldiers' full accompaniment of armor. Uh, that includes um, the best of truth, the Baltius, the breastplate of righteousness, uh, Romans called it a curus, I do believe, uh, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Uh, the word the Apostle Paul used there was a caligulae, which was the Uh, Roman infantry boot or uh, combat boot of the Roman soldier, and in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, uh, Romans called it the scutum, uh, which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, all the weapons or all the pieces of armor that are listed there. I've heard different writers talk about, um, you know, some of these are defensive, you know, two of these are are meant to be offensive. Uh, You know, the sword is obviously an offensive weapon. But uh, pretty much everything that, you know, has been mentioned there by God, if a warrior is trained in their use, can be both offensive and defensive. Um, I believe it's in Isaiah. I can't remember the the verse right off the top of my head. But the prophet Isaiah calls righteousness one of our weapons. And the breastplate of righteousness, uh, itself being a full, full frontal cover, the, the cuirass of the Roman, Roman soldier was a, a heavy piece of metal, uh, two pieces actually, that covered the entire chest. And connected at at the shoulders and at, at the sides to cover both the back and the chest, and weighed probably about 40 pounds uh, total. Uh, protected the full chest and the heart uh, of the Roman soldier. But someone that's actively trained in in the use of his armor can actually use that armor in an offensive manner. You know, if you're charging at somebody and you know use your chest uh, to I guess, you know, but somebody in the face that's unarmored is going to cause some injury and some pain. So righteousness can be utilized in an offensive manner. The uh, caligulae, the 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 boots, the gospel boots, you know, are having our feet shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You know, so many people have a tendency to think that this is like putting on your sandals and, and walking along a a beach and and spreading platitudes of of love. Yeah. The caligulae were combat boots. Um they were thick thick pieces of leather uh, that were studded with hobnails and uh, laced up around the Roman soldier's feet. And footwear is actually what a con- what allowed the Roman army to conquer so much of the world along with their incredible training and in the and their discipline. Uh, their footwear allowed them to, to travel and, and cover long distances without foot problems. Uh, many other armies of the world have been crippled because of bad footwear. Uh, in the Civil War, for instance, um, again uh, the general escapes out of way, but a bunch of Union soldiers had been issued new footwear, brand new boots. Um, and in their march you know, towards one of their battles, uh, a reporter catalogs literally thousands of pairs of brand new boots that had been left abandoned by the sides of the road because the soldiers could no longer walk in them. Uh, the boots hadn't been broken in, so they caused blisters and, and sores and crippled the soldiers. So instead of wearing boots, they just chose to go barefoot. And fighting barefoot in the battle is usually not the wisest thing to do, but you know the soldiers could not bear the pain of the of the footwear. you know the Roman soldier 's footwear was very comfortable and it allowed him to do battle in a number of different environments and gave him good mobility
0: and to go long distances so for someone that 's not familiar with these terms, say someone who's not a believer or even someone who's a new Christian. This, you know, let's take it down to a practical level. They're going to be saying, you know, sword of the spirit, feet saw with the gospel of peace, booth. They're not going to understand that. So, on a practical level, when we're talking about spiritual warfare, what does that really mean? How can we do spiritual warfare? What are what are some ways we can do that?
1: Well, one of the things that, that Christians, I think, need to realize. And what what kind of been the hallmark of my ministry, um, as it has been for for all these years? You now, spiritual warfare has always kind of been my topic, my my thing. Uh, the the first sermon I ever preached on uh, was in regards to spiritual warfare. Uh, little uh, segue of a story. Um, I had been invited to speak uh as a as a youth minister i was when i was training to be a a, a pastor many 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 years ago i got invited to speak at a uh, baptist church which you know, i was attending a non-denominational church at the time but i grew up baptist and always had a a deep love for you know, the baptist and and their love of the word and i got invited to you know, to speak at this baptist church and it took about two hours for me to find this place. It was it was in the middle of nowhere and had to be the oldest Baptist church in America. Um, I got there a couple hours early. Nobody was there. And this place easily existed prior to the Civil War. I had no idea what I was going to preach on. I had been working on it for a couple of weeks, and still was just like, what in the world am I going to preach on? And there was a cemetery outside uh, by the church, and I went and I I spent a couple of hours before the service started just walking around the cemetery. And it was an old um, Civil War cemetery. And there were people buried there that were both... Um, Union soldiers, um, Confederate soldiers, and I was really interested in the, in the many different things that were written upon their tombstones. You know, here lies, you know, Colonel Young, um, killed by the dang Yankees, you know, at you know such and such a place. You know, here lies um, Major such and such of the Union Army, and then right beside those tombstones. You know, these, these glorious tombstones erected, you know, in our heroic deeds. There were dozens and dozens and dozens of little headstones marking the deaths of children. Uh, children that had died of smallpox, children that had died of the measles. And it really struck me uh, at that point in time very hard that that really represents the church. You know, we have heroes of faith. Um, when you come into faith, you know, it's kind of like being recruited. You know, in the Baptist church, you know, we the end of every service. You know, we would sing a hundred stanzas of ice until, you know, someone finally walks down the aisle and goes to Christ. And it was a great celebration. Hey, we've got a new Christian. You know, someone has surrendered their, their heart to Christ. And then that's it, Yeah, you know, Well, they're recruited. There's, well, we've got some Bible studies you can come to, you know, on Wednesday nights. You know, we've got, um, you know, be here Sunday morning, be here Sunday night. Um, you know, there's group, you know, there's group. There's this, you know, there's that activity. There's Royal Rangers. There wasn't any real training. That we gave our recruits and and I think that 's in a lot of places still still true today
0: that when, the church doesn't that the church doesn 't train people as soldiers because we are in a war, and I want to interject excuse me for interrupting, but I want to interject something that you had written in my eba you had written individually, we are all engaged as soldiers in this war, and that is so true, and my slogan or my motto for this eba is. We are in a war and we must fight because neutral is not an option. We either, as as Christians, as believers, we will either fight or we will become missing in action or we will be slaughtered by the enemy. Neutral is not an option. We must learn to wage war against the enemy. We cannot afford to be passive. It's very serious. It's very real. And for, for those who don't know Christ, that they don't even realize that, that we are actually in a war. They're, not, they're blinded to the truth. But for believers, believers need to get a hold of this, that this war, this spiritual warfare is very real, that we have an enemy who wants to kill, steal, and destroy in our lives. One of the other things that um that you had written about was what is in, in my eba and that for those of you who don't know that eba is the hands of a woman everyday women in everyday battles and you can find out more about that at htTP colon slash women'sbattles com but Ray wrote the Ford for my eba and one of the things he wrote is what is the objective of the christian life it is to know God and that's it. It is to know God and that is so powerful and it is so true. And Satan will do all he can to fight us, to keep us from doing that. And Ray, don't you think that is Satan's chief aim of attack against us as believers, to keep us from knowing God or anyone.
1: Absolutely. Once once we've to Christ, you know, it's it's Satan's goal to make sure that we don't grow in the knowledge. All right. It would be it would be kind of similar to you know, making sure that a recruit into the armed forces, you know, doesn't learn any of the skills necessary to be you know, a, a future opponent on a battlefield. And you know, kind of, you know, I guess to give another analogy here, when when a young man joins the armed forces of the United States, at least the way it used to be. You know that you've joined the military the moment you step off that airplane and a military bus picks you up to take you to recruit training camp. Because one moment you're standing outside on a street corner with a bunch of other people dressed in civilian clothes like you are, you know, long hair, earrings, you know, cigarettes, you know, laughing, joking, talking, etc. And the next moment a bus pulls up and a guy in Marine Corps uniform steps out looks at all of you and then starts yelling and screaming for you to get the bus and you kind of know at that instant that your life as as you know it is over and it is over for the next you know 12, <laughs> or however long it takes um because you know, the military will, their, their goal is to, is to tear you down and then to build you back up and prepare you, you know, to, to do battle with, with the enemies of our country, of enemies of the, of the Constitution of the United States, the enemies of our freedom. And they teach you a whole um, barrage of different skills uh, to train you for that. Uh, they toughen you up through calisthenics and uh, physical training. Uh, they toughen you up by by making you do things that are that are repetitive in nature, that just seem absolutely stupid to you at the time. And you, know, you got to get it right. Um, if you don't get it right, you get yelled at. You know, and before long, you know, you're falling in line with everybody else, just trying to do it right so that you don't get yelled at anymore. And yeah, but. And when it's all over, you know, everybody's marching together, everybody knows how to pick up a weapon, everybody knows how to aim it, everybody knows how to shoot it. Um, everybody knows how to engage in hand to hand combat. Um, everybody knows the basics of survival and if need be, uh, can do the job. But that's just basic training. You know, after a soldier graduates basic training, then you go to advanced training to To find, you know, learn even more about uh, particular jobs that you're going to be able to do in in the service. And that's a lot, like, in in my opinion, a lot the way the church, you know, should be. You know, for years uh, in America, we've kind of cultivated this idea that if you want to serve God, (laughs) excuse me, you basically.
0: Ray, hold on just a second. You there, Ray? Ray, are you there? I'm here. Okay. What I did for those in the audience is I muted the other phone lines. That way we could have it as clean of a recording as possible. So I'm sorry, Ray. Go ahead and continue.
1: Uh, I believe my, my dent was that... Uh, for for several years in the in the church culture, we've kind of raised up this idea that if you're if you're going to serve God, you're going to have to do it as a preacher, you know, or you know as a deacon in the church, or maybe as a Sunday school teacher. But you know that's that's pretty much it. You know, if a if a person feels a calling to to serve God, it's okay. Well, let's train you as a preacher. Or you know, let let's have you be a deacon, and you know you can, sit and, you know, pass the offering plate, and you know a lot of people don't really have those types of callings. You know, there's a lot of people that are that are called to serve God as soldiers, but you know, they they're not called to be preachers. And and a true army and a true military. Um, Everybody has a has a particular job and not everybody in the military you know, everybody may be trained at the very basic level to be a soldier, um, because when it all you know comes down to it, you know, the cooks and the clerks and everybody else may end up having to drop everything they're doing and grab a rifle and, and defend. You know, but every army has specific occupations. There's not an army in the world that doesn't survive with, without cooks. There's not an army in the world that doesn't survive, unfortunately, without having clerks and, and big administrative staffs. And you know, in today's military, you know, we have you know, we have to have telecommunications experts and internet experts and missile experts and and you name it. And I think the church is is very similar. What you know, you're saying
0: basically is that everyone is needed, and that everyone is called to war, that it's not an option.:
1: Yes, uh, we all have a, a very basic function as warriors of Christ that we're called to do, and we should all know the basics of our, our warfare, you know, but there's more to it you know there there's advanced training and there's, uh, there's places that you know each of us is uniquely called to serve. And the church needs to, you know, find ways, you know, to incorporate uh, those people in service. Um, Back during the Civil War, for instance, you know, even back then we had um, what we call conscientious objectors. uh, People that did not uh, believe in war uh, because of religious purposes. Uh, The Quakers uh, were, were a good example of that. But a lot of Quakers served in the military as medics. You know, they did not believe in, in, in the war, but, you know, they were willing to go and they were willing to help people that were wounded. So, you know, even if someone, you know, does not, you know, cannot embrace, you know, a warrior type of mentality, which I believe the Bible does call us to, you know, there are still places where people, you know, can engage in warfare, you know, against the enemy and serve the church without, you know, necessarily being militant.
0: And how would they do that?
1: Well, you know, without going, you know, too far into depth. I mean, every every position within the church is something that ultimately is is serving God. You know the you know the people that work in the nursery. You know, I, I for one. I have no calling to work in a nursery.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: None. You know, I love children. You know, I, I love to watch children play um, from a distance, mostly. You know, and a nursery is just not my, <laughs> not my thing. You know, but, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I have done my, my stints in the nursery because nobody else would do it. Nobody else wants to. And if someone's got a particular calling, you know, to and God's given them that type of love and that type of, you know, earnest, you know, earnestness in their heart, then that's that's where they should be put. You know, we should be, you know, if, if I'm if I'm the pastor of the church, kind of like the commander of a of a troop of of armed, armed forces, I'm going to put my people where they're going to be best served and they're best going to serve the interest. Of the whole group, you know, if I've got a guy that I know is a horrible, horrible shot, I'm not going to put him on a hill protecting the encampment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know what I am going to do? You know, maybe the guy is a, is a horrible shot, you know, but at the same time, maybe he, you know, has another incredible talent, you know, somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You know, he's an incredible scout, or you know, maybe he, you know he can type 300 words a minute. Yeah, you know, and if that's the case, that's where I'm going to utilize it. What you're what
0: you're saying basically, and I agree so much with that is God has put different and unique gifts in each one of us, spiritual gifts, talents, and skills, and he has got a unique destiny and unique purpose for each of our lives, and God wants to use everyone. He wants to use men. He wants to use women. He wants to use children. He wants to use teenagers, and he wants to use us right now. Every single person is needed. God values each one of us, so that is that is so true, that there, there's different gifts. The Bible says that there's different gifts. There's different callings. And not one is more important than the other. Every one of them is necessary. The nursery that you were talking about, the, the children are so important. Jesus said, do not hinder the little children. Let them come to me. So that is a very valuable, valuable uh, ministry in the church and the ministry in the church it shouldn't just be a one man show God wants to use everyone the pastor is there to equip the saints so that they can use their gifts and go outside the four walls of the church and use the gifts in the world so that's That's very true. And one of the things that you touched on a while ago when you were talking about your boot camp, your training in the military, is you were talking about the discipline that you had to run and you had to do all kind of exercises. But it was also, it was not only physically demanding, it was also mentally demanding. There There was the training of the mind. And the mind is where the battlefield is, but Joyce Meyer talks about that that the the battlefield is primarily in our minds and can you touch on that a minute? The discipline it took in the military for you to train you as you know, for war, but also the training of our minds spiritually to instantly obey orders.
1: Well, that's um uh, that's an interesting one to, to touch on. You know, we as Americans are we have a we have a natural independent streak. Yep. And that you yeah, know, that's a good thing and, and, and that's a that's a bad thing. Um you know, there's a portion of us that says, you know, hey, I want to do it my way and I'm going to do it my way and nobody's going to tell me tell me otherwise. You know, and there's a there's a portion of that 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 actually is is good that that's honorable, and then there's a portion of that that also is is very evil you know because when we say we're going to do it you know our way, you know we exclude God, you know what is god's way what is what does god want how does God want us to do it and in the military they're you're going to do it their way um the military is definitely not Mcdonald's. You don't get it your way. Um, you know, you get it their way and and only their way. And if you don't do it their way, then they're going to make you do it their way. And if you still refuse to do it their way, they're going to punish you until you finally give up and you do it their way. A- and they win. The, the drill instructor always wins. You know, I, if... If in some way the drill instructor loses, you know, it's because you've been kicked out of the military as unfit for duty. Otherwise, you know, you learn to do um, the things that they want you to do, and you develop the mindset, okay, this is the way it has to be done. And uh, over a period of time, you just adapt to that. You know, not everything makes sense um, at the time. You know, eventually a, a lot of it does begin to make sense. You know, the commands they give you—you you know, face left, face right, you know, oblique left, oblique, oblique right—you know, march to the rear, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it all seems like pointless exercise until you yeah, get that's out there.
0: Yeah, thats just what I was thinking because sometimes in real war, in real physical war, where there's bombs going off and guns coming at you and all that um, it, it seems like sometimes a, a general or a, a, and of course I don't know military ranks, command or whatever the position is the, the ones that are in charge they might give an order that to a, a soldier might not make a whole lot of sense so why is it so important that if a soldier does hear an order that to him doesn't make sense he goes ahead and obeys that order anyway Why is that so vital?
1: Well, in the, I guess in the objective sense, you know, the commanders over you are commanders over you because they're, generally because they're experienced. They've been to war, you know, they understand what's going on. And in most uh, places, a commander is situated, you know, above the battle where he can see the battle, where he can see you know what's going on with the battle. Mm-hmm. And you know he he may give an order for you know a group you know to attack the center of the oncoming force. And I'm and, sure
0: with technology now that's even more enhanced today that they oh, have
1: Absolutely. I mean we can we can direct battles now from from miles away. I mean we mm-hmm. we can direct battles now from being countries away. And uh, you know, at least with you know, with special operations, and 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 we do that uh, on a on a regular basis. Um, historically, you know, in the, in the olden days, uh, regiments had uh, flags. Uh, they had standards, and um, you know, the flags would be lifted up high to where everybody could see them. Um, they you know, they would be twirled maybe in a in a motion to, to rally the troops, you know, okay, the flag goes up, everybody can see the flag, and everybody knows that, okay, you know, our standard bearer is twirling the flag. Everybody that is under that particular unit is supposed to run towards that flag because that's where the battle, you know, that's where we need to do battle. That's where the enemy is coming through. And the Bible talks about, you know, the... Um, you know, God lifting up a standard, you know, against the enemy, mm-hmm. um, and that's it's actually a military term that's that's being used there. You know, lifting up a standard to, you know, so that you know we can we can see, you know, that that help is on the way. That we can see, you know, where it is that we're needed. You know, one of the things, and I like to kind of point out, you know, real quick, um, in writing the foreword for your book. Um I princi- I really didn't cover a lot about uh warfare or the you know the tools of our warfare as much as I did, you know, basic uh strategies behind warfare. Uh the you know, the I think the four four elements that make up warfare. Um endurance, firepower, power, mobility, and strategy. And uh, strategy of course included, you know, logistics and uh, a couple of other other items there, one of the things that i, I neglected to mention in your book and that i, I probably should have put in the foreword was in um, the actual uh, ponderance of who our enemy is. you know we have a tendency even in the Christian world to be the devil, you know he is our enemy. But you know, we we have a tendency to view him as, you know, equal to God. They're like like uh, the Chinese uh, yin and yang symbols. You know, there's evil and there's good. You know, what Christians need to understand more than anything is that Satan is a spiritual being, and he is a limited spiritual being. Jesus yeah. said, "I saw Satan cast down from heaven." like lightning. You know, so of all the planets that God has created throughout the universe, Satan was cast down to one planet. You know, he you know, he's no longer a, a heavenly being, even though he is a spiritual being. You know, he does not have the power that he did under God. He is a created being God created him.
0: He does not have so, unlimited power.
1: Exactly. Satan is a limited being. He does not have unlimited power. Good is not equal to evil. There is no chance that evil will ever come you know, close to being good or measuring the power that is good. Satan will never come close to the power that is God. Right. You know, God did not create a being that was stronger than he was.
0: And yet Satan tries to make us think that. He tries well, to and
1: that's, fill that's us with that fear and make
0: strategy. us believe that he is.
1: That's his strategy. He wants Christians to, to focus, you know, on, you know, just how bad a guy he is, just, you know, how powerful he is. He wants us to think he's omnipotent, you know. And really, you know, I think what Christians need to look at when they're considering, you know, when they're coming against the devil, you know, in a, in a way... You you could actually almost say, you know, it's like a U.S. citizen saying, you know, I come against the nation of Russia. Okay? Uh, Because it makes just about as much sense. You know, Satan is not omnipotent. Hmm? Can you
0: explain that a little bit more? What do you mean?
1: The devil is not omnipotent. He is not everywhere. He can't be everywhere all at once. You know, what he does do, you know, is he pulls the strings of nations. You know, he's got an army. He's got people, you know, he's got, you know, fallen angels that are under his command. He's got, you know, demonic powers. You know, But, you know, they're pulling the strings of nations. You know, if Satan has a chance to, you know, operate behind... Um, Omar Gaddafi, for instance, or, you know, Saddam Hussein, or um, Osama bin Laden, do you think Satan's going to operate, you know, more behind one of those individuals, or he's going to afflict, you know, some poor farmer, you know, in the middle of Missouri, you know, on a daily basis? And I'm talking, you know, the devil himself. I'm not talking, you know, demonic powers or anything anything of that nature. You know, we war not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And we need to, you know, we need to see the devil as, as for, for what he is, a limited being that we are engaged in warfare against.
0: So how do we do that? How well, do we war, war against him? What are some tools?
1: Well, God gives us all the tools that we need. You know, the the knowledge of the word is it. You know, if, if you look at the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, uh, the devil came against... The devil himself came against Jesus uh, three times and tempted him. You know, he tempted him... Um, with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and, and the pride of life, and he tempted him at a time when Jesus was at his weakest. You know, a, after forty days, you know, without food, uh, a forty-day fast. But even when the devil came against him, you know, the Bible doesn't—I don't believe the Bible records the devil tried to kill him. It says that he, you know, he tempted him. You know, he tried to win him over to his side. You know, offered him all the kingdoms of the world. Mm -hmm. You know, tried to get him to, you know, to prove his godhood. You know, by putting God to the test. You know, every time that that Jesus came against the devil, he said, "It is written." The word. He used the word, and that's why the Bible says the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to cleave through flesh and bone, piercing. The heart of the matter, the Roman soldier, uh, the sort of truth that the, that the Apostle Paul talked about in Ephesians, um, was the gladius. It was uh, uh, the Roman short sword. It was uh, double-edged. It was pointed. Uh, the Romans could fight with both sides of the sword. It was short, and the Romans used it as a thrusting weapon, which was something that a lot of the other civilizations that surrounded Rome at the time did not use. Their swords had single edges and were usually very big and very clumsy. Um, the Gauls, for instance, the Germans. Uh, when the, when the Romans went up against the Gauls, you know, the Gauls were huge men. You know, six foot, six foot four, six foot, six foot eight. You know, mountains of muscle. You know, with eight foot and ten foot long swords.
0: Right. Well, right. Hold hold on just a second. If you can pull your phone just a little bit away from your mouth, there's a little bit of feedback I'm getting as you're talking. But go ahead. You're talking about the, the, the weapon of the sword and that um the the Roman sword was was shorter than the other typical swords in that time. Go ahead.
1: Alright, is this better?
0: Yes. Okay.
1: The the swords of the Gauls when they used them, when when one of those swords connected, it would cut you in half because it was there was a lot of weight behind the sword and a lot of power behind the arm that drove the sword. However, it was generally good for one swing, and then after that, the person that swung it was off balance. And then they'd have to get up the strength to, to swing again. Well, like I said, if you were in the way of that sword, it was pretty much over. It would go right <laughs> yeah. through you. What happened though, in the way that the Romans fought is that or fought, is that they would you know they would avoid that swing, and then while the the Gaul was off balance, they would rush in with their smaller swords and thrust right to the heart and thus killing their enemy and the our swords the the you know the source of truth. That's the way it's meant, you know, Paul meant for us to use them, uh, like the Romans did. They they trained with it daily, usually about two hours, and they thrust with it. You know, I've seen the Bible in, in all the years that I've been a minister. I've seen the, uh, a lot of Christians use the Bible like a club or like a, you know, like one of the long swords of the Gauls. They've got one scripture lined up, you know, they're trying to, to win someone over the Christ or to try to make a point, a biblical point and they swing that Bible, and then they're off balance. And then mm-hmm. the enemy, or whoever it is they're, they're trying to convert, comes back at them with a whole bunch of stuff that they haven't got the slightest clue, you know, to retaliate against. And next thing you know it, you know, the enemy's won. And you and
0: I have talked about how a lot of times in the church with believers, with Christians, they wind up using the weapons of their warfare against each other, and that We're the only ones who shoot or stab, if you will, our own wounded. And the weapons, the sword of the spirit is to be used against the enemy, not one another. The sword of the spirit is to be used carefully with with other people. That doesn't mean we don't speak truth. Of course, we need to speak and preach the truth of God's word. America right now desperately here needs a voice of truth crying in the wilderness, that we don't need to beat each other up with the word of God. What we need to do is use the word of God and say to Satan, it is written when he comes against us. Precisely. And that's right. And one of the minister, Kenneth, in the chat room said, and to help others as well. And that's so true. Uh,
1: we we need to we need to be familiar with our weapons, mm-hmm. we need Just to train we, with you, it. we need to train with our weapons on a regular basis. You know, even mock warfare, and that was something else that you, that you do in boot camp. You know, or you know, for the for the years that uh, you know was in the martial arts. You know, and, and competed in tournaments and things of that nature. You know, you're fighting against other people. You know, to learn how to be a better fighter. You know and you know christianity and, and in churches you know we should be doing the same thing you know we should be encouraging each other with the word you know we should be you know practicing you know with okay well, you know what if someone you know comes up with with this argument against christ you know how would you how would you fight that okay well this is this is what I would say to that person this is how I would do it you know that's that's training you know i'm I'm sorry, I just you know, going to going to church, you know, sitting in a pew, listening to you know, a preacher give a sermon and then going home and forgetting all about church or Christianity until the next Sunday is not the life that Christ wanted us to have. That is not the church, that is not the body. He wants we us to, to be, be the a, church. We're to be a community. We're to be uh we're to be an army. Mhm. You know, an army an army doesn't meet, you know, once a week for an hour and sit down and listen listen to the commander give a rousing speech about what great soldiers they are, you know, and then go back home and, you know, not pick up a weapon for another another week.
0: No, nope, they're in the trenches. And one of the comments in the chat room with Mister Kenneth is when you were talking about training with the word is cover to cover and inside out, and that that's true. We need the the Bible is one of the weapons of our warfare. Prayer is one of our weapons, and God wants us to use these weapons. But He said, "Cover to cover, inside out," and we have to know the word to be able to use it and to say to the enemy, "It is written."
1: I agree. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. There's there's no re- no use saying something's written if it's not there. Yeah, the devil will will cheat you up and spit you out if you tell him something's written and it's not in there. Mm-hmm. You know, it is written. God helps those who help themselves. No, it's not. Not in there. Yeah, and I've, you know, over the years I've heard a I've heard a lot of Christians quote scriptures to me that are not scriptures, I and mean, they're they're not in our Bible. They're not in any translation of the Bible that I, you know, that I've ever read, I've read quite a few different translations, you know, there's a lot of things that, uh, you know, we've just held by oral tradition for so long. Um, you know, it's our job as Christians when we, when we, when we go to church, you know, and that's providing that you know we're going to a good Bible Bible teaching church. You know, if the preacher gets up and preaches a sermon on Sunday. You know, we have a responsibility to go home and read the Word, to read what the preacher taught us. You know, and and see for ourselves. Okay, was what he said in there?
0: To test you know, all things.
1: Just line up with the Word. You know, because just because the preacher said it doesn't mean it's true. You know, I've you know, and just in my own growing up in Christ and my own maturing over the years. You know, I gave I gave many. Many sermons as a young man that you know I wish I you know I've I've had to repent of as an older man because my understanding of the scripture was totally wrong. You know I I did not under you know I I thought I understood at the time. You know I read it. That's what it you know it seemed to me. You know but you know scripture can't be taken out of context. Uh, scripture you know must be interpreted in in light of other scripture. And yes. that's why you know I'll, I'll agree with Kenneth, you know, cover to cover, you know, when you when you read the Bible cover to cover, you know, the more you read it, you know, the more you understand it. Uh, the Bible is one of those books that, it, no matter how many times you read it, something new is always going to come up. God's always going to speak to you in a in a different way, you know, and uh, and a new you know scripture is going to come to light in, in a different way. You know, just just looking at the pieces of our armor, the armor of our warfare in Ephesians, you know, seeing them for what they are, you know, the Roman gladius as the as the short sword, uh, the Roman cask, uh, the helm as the helmet of salvation. You know, that helmet was specifically designed. It it was it was fitted to each individual Roman's skull. When they were in boot camp, they were they were given a, a you know a cap that was molded you know to their to their skull and then the helmet was molded to fit over it so it fit comfortably and the Roman helmet itself you know had different angles to it to protect uh, the wearer from different blows to the head and blows to the neck you know it, it had a specific design to it uh, it wasn't a it wasn't a helmet like you like you see other armies you know where it wasn't a bamboo helmet. You know, Paul specifically used the Roman helmet as his example. Uh, the Roman shield, uh, the scutum. Um, the, you know, the Romans were trained to to go forth in uh, what was called a phalanx, where they would sling shields to the front. Uh, the men in the middle of the of the group would put their shields overhead, um, the men on the side would sling their shields to the side. And it became like a, just a, a great armored turtle, you know, that would just run right through the ranks of the enemy. And they could rain arrows down on them from overhead, and they would bounce off the shields. They could shoot at them from the front, you know, and, and the men were protected until they, until they hit the line of the enemy.
0: They were in unity, and they were one. They were one army.
1: Yes, yeah, so they they went they had one you know went forth with with a purpose you know they they obeyed the orders of their commanders you know they didn't jostle one another for position they weren't out there you know trying to prove you know who is the best warrior yeah you know, there is a, there's a big difference between a warrior and a soldier and the Gauls the, the Germans uh, they were warriors and they were all individually proud of their ability as warriors. Well, warriors typically fight as individuals. The Romans didn't fight as individuals. They fought as units. And that's how the Romans were able to conquer uh, the known world at the time. Many of the enemies they fought against you know, went out and you know, tried to gain glory for themselves on the battlefield. You know, and you know, the Romans didn't think twice about surrounding an enemy and cutting him down. You know, their their objective was to win for the glory of Rome.
0: And our objective is to win for the glory of God.
1: Our objective, exactly, is to is to keep up, you know, keep up the fight. You know, the battle's already been won. You know, God has defeated the devil. You know, if if anything, you could you could say that you know what we are doing now. Between between the time that that Jesus left and the time that that Jesus comes back, which all Christians believe is very soon, um, yes. Though so I would not hazard to try to give a date for that. Um, <laughs> what we're doing is is kind of, I, I guess you can compare it to uh, the invasion of Normandy back in World War Two. You know that. The invasion of Normandy broke the, the Axis powers. It, it broke the back of Nazi Germany. The war was essentially over. D-Day. Okay? But the war wasn't over officially uh, until many months later. You know, Japan still had to surrender. There were still isolated units uh, fighting in different places. Um so I I guess you could say that, you know, you know, Jesus' death on the cross and, and resurrection was D Day. And you know, our job now until until Christ comes again and establishes his kingdom here on earth is to fight the good fight. To to bring as many to the knowledge of Christ as we possibly can, you know, to to live Christian lives, you know, to Uh, continue to remind the devil he's a defeated enemy. And the
0: evidence of that, the evidence of that will be our love for one another and for God.
1: Uh, Yes. Our evidence of that is our our love for one another um, and definitely our our awe and reverence and fear of God. You know, one thing that, that I like to caution people, you know, we tend to worship what we you know what we fear what we fear we actually tend to worship um uh, and, and and let me explain that you know if we fear something we give it power over us we give it the ability to harm us all right you know, I know there's people out there that are scared of snakes, that are scared of wasps, You know, and they they freeze. You know, when when one starts flying around them, you know, or you know, they see one and you know, they shriek. You know, what? You know, okay, those those are fears. I understand. I guess I understand those kind of kinds of fears. I don't personally have those types of fears, but I I, I know some people have them. You know, that they're they're afraid of them.
0: One of the questions in the chat room or comments is fear as in respect in God's case.
1: Exactly. Our our fear of God is not fear as in run in terror type fear. We we should fear God. The Bible tells us to fear God. All to right. rever him. Mm-hmm. But, our, you know, our fear is, is one of reverence. He's also our father, you know. And, you know, I had I had some fear of my father growing up. I think everybody did, you know, especially when, you know, he was mad or I knew not, I knew I had done something, you know, that was not going to meet his approval. Fear of the devil is what I'm getting at, though. So many Christians spend so much time fearing the devil that, they you know, they're afraid to do anything because, you know, well, you know, I don't want to draw the devil's attention to me. You know, I, I don't want to pray for this person because, you know, what what if the spirit that's on him comes, you know, comes out at me? That's where we're that's where we're honoring the devil. We're we're giving him too much credence. I'm not saying that he he's not an enemy that should also be respected. You know, you you respect you know your opponent. You know, one of the one of the easiest ways to get defeated in a battle. Is to go into the battle, you know, with the idea that I'm going. You know, trust me. From from years of of fighting in karate tournaments, you know, you go up against some guy and it's like I am going to tear this guy apart. And the next thing you know, you're looking up at him from the floor, you know, thinking maybe if I just lie here, he'll go away. You know, you if you if you don't respect your enemy, you don't respect what he can do to you then you're not you know you're you're going to make a foolish foolish strike.
0: Yeah, I want to jump in here real quick before I forget this point because I believe it's very important. I want to emphasize what you said about respecting the opponent, respecting the enemy. It is true. We don't need to think he has no power. The, but the Bible says he's he's got power. He is a spiritual being. He does not have unlimited power over us. But what's so important for us to get is that if we are a believer in Christ, We have all authority in Christ. We have to know that our authority is in Christ. We have to know where our authority comes from. Our authority does not come in and of ourselves. Our authority does not come from shouting at the devil or, or, you know, even, you know, rebuking him him loudly or whatever. Our authority comes absolutely from God. And that is the knowledge that we need. That is what we need to understand is our authority is in Christ.
1: 2 Corinthians ten three through 5 states, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for right. the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculation, every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And then John sixteen thirty three states, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. You know, what, we, what we need to remember through all this is that we are engaged in battle. We are going yeah. to continue to be engaged in battle and warfare you know, until Christ comes again.
0: Whether we want to be or not.
1: <laughs> whether, whether we want to be or not. You know, since we are in warfare, we need to conduct ourselves as soldiers in warfare. You know, we need, to, we need to learn to use the weapons of our warfare. You know, we need to understand that, you know, even though our enemy is defeated, you know, he still has power. He can still cause destruction. You know, but if we stand united against him, Instead of united against each other, you know, if we if we work on tearing down, you know, the spiritual forces in high places, you know, instead of tearing down the church next door because, you know, they believe a little differently than we do, you know, then you know maybe we'll see some ground gained. You know, if you look at America right now, and especially in the last couple of years, we have lost so much moral high ground. It's unbelievable. Well, you you can't convince me that, you know, the morality of America has just suddenly, you know, turned on its heel. You know, it hasn't. There has been active warfare in in the heavenlies, you know, by our enemy to destroy the foundations of our society. Our society is one of the last few on the face of this earth as decadent, as our society may be, our society is one of the last few on this planet that actively pro- proclaim a God, that send missionaries to foreign lands, that send humanitarian aid, you know, to other to other places. How how many how many missionaries from China ha- have you seen, you know, going around the world? How many missionaries from Russia, you know, and I know there are some out there. But as a nation, those nations do not send out missionaries. Those nations do not support humanitarian efforts. Those nations deny the existence of God.
0: God has a plan for America. I believe that with all my heart, just as God has a plan for Israel that he has not finished with them yet. He loves America. He loves Israel. The Jews are, are the apple of God's eye and we are too. And just as we have a destiny, just as God has a plan for our lives, a great plan, Jeremiah 29:11. He has good plans for our lives. He's got gifts that he has put inside of us that he wants to use for his glory. And in my ebook, The Hands of a Woman, Everyday Women in Everyday Battles, Ray wrote this forward, and he was talking about the Bible being a military manual, teaching us how to engage in warfare against the enemies of God, especially the devil, and it's a powerful chapter. If you want to learn more about that, you can check out my website at http colon slash slash womensbattles.com. Ray, will, he will describe for you in that chapter more about the military aspect of spiritual warfare, so be sure to check that out. And I want to read, Ray, it's been really good to talk to you today about this subject. It's a fascinating topic. It's one that the church at large... My friend Mary and I were talking about this. A lot of this is not taught even from the pulpit. A lot of Christians, a lot of believers, aren't even aware of spiritual warfare and the weapons of their warfare that God has given them authority in Christ and authority against the enemy. And I just believe it's something that really needs to be taught in the church, that it needs to be studied by believers and that it needs to be taught to the church at large. But I just encourage all of you today to listen to this replay again because there's a lot of meat here. Ray is an incredibly anointed um, teacher of the Word and preacher, and he just he goes real deep in God. And I encourage you to listen to that replay. Also to go to my website at http colon slash slash. Women'sBattles.com, and I do want to close with a scripture, and this comes from Job. I was reading about Job today, and it's Job 22, and it says, "It's Job 22." 21 through 25 and it says "Given to God come to terms with him and everything will turn out just fine let him tell you what to do take his words to heart come back to God almighty and he'll rebuild your life so get your orders from the commander the king of kings and the lord of lords get your directions from him get your map from him and God will show you what to do he will give you the wisdom that you need God will teach you to war against the enemy. He will teach you in the secret place of prayer. Psalm 91, meditate upon Psalm 91. Prayer is another powerful weapon that God has given us. Our prayers make a difference, and God wants to teach you things in the secret place of prayer. So I want to thank all of the guests for coming today. I'm so excited that you all came today and so blessed. I also want to give you an opportunity, if you had any questions for Ray or I, if you wanted to ask them now, and we can address those before we end this call today. I'm so glad that all of you came. It's been a blessing to have you here. Ray, thank you so much for coming.
1: Oh, it's been my pleasure.
0: Okay, does anyone else have any more questions before we end this call? We'll wrap up with prayer. Okay. Well, Ray, why don't you lead us in prayer, and then I will, I will end the call. And also, I just want to remind you all that this free play for Talk Show will be available shortly afterwards. Also, be sure to check out my website, my new e I've been very excited about it. Eight women have contributed their stories, some of their greatest spiritual battles. And one of my stories has included that as well. It's at womensbattles.com. And thank you. One of the feedback today was it was a very good program. But Ray, why don't you just go ahead and wrap us up with prayer today. And thank you so much for coming.
1: Okay. Heavenly Father, I just come before you right now in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. I thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to talk about your Word. I ask, Lord, that uh, anything that was said today, anything that was was unclear uh, on my part or... Um That wasn't explained very well, Lord God, that you would just you would make that knowledge relevant uh to the hearts of those that were that were listening lord your your word uh, isaiah fifty four seventeen says no weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. So, Lord, I, I thank you for your righteousness. I, I thank you for the breastplate of righteousness which which you give us, Lord. It's not our righteousness that we put on, Lord. It's your righteousness that we put on. It's not our swords that we take up, Lord. It is your sword that you've given us, the sword of word. And, Lord, you also said that you give us faith, a gift of faith. So, Lord, that the shield of faith is your gift to us, Lord, and we lift up that shield. And the, and the belt of truth, Lord, that, that we place on and the helmet of salvation are also your gifts. And, Father, the, the gospel of peace are our, our combat boots for the gospel, Lord. We just ask that you teach us to walk in them as warriors, as soldiers, Father, keeping in step with your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, thank you all for coming today to Women's Battles. I'm so glad that you stopped by today. And be sure to check out my website at http colon The Lord bless you and have a great day.